0: Harry Potter in the Two Way Mirror, Part Two of the Harry Potter and the Dog and the Wolf series, written by The Hole of the Moon, read by Burning Aurora. Chapter One. Harry, Dad got the tickets. Ireland vs. Bulgaria. You have to come. Is Sirius getting you tickets? I'll me as soon as you know if you're coming. Ron, Ron, Sirius got tickets. Sirius, Remus, and I are coming to the burrow the night before the cup to see you all and travel there together. See you soon, Harry. All right, I'm ready. Let's have it out. Sirius Black, godfather of Harry Potter and true love of Remus Lupin, said while sitting cross-legged at the end of he and Remus's bed, facing the other man who was leaning against the headboard. His own long, lithe legs stretched out and crossed at the ankle. I wouldn't call it having it out, Remus corrected dryly. I would call it taking proper precautions and planning for contingencies. Ooh, I love when you talk dirty. I've something really dirty in mind if we get the planning session done in under ten minutes. Ah, bribery. I'm in. I thought so, Remus smiled. All right, so first, the gift basket is prepped and ready for the Weasleys? Sorted, Sirius said pointing to the wicker basket sitting atop his trunk with various offerings. Wine for Molly and Arthur, boxes of shamrock-shaped in red-and-black colored assorted biscuits, and popcorn for snacks representing the two teams, and spare spectator glasses for anyone who needed them to watch the cup. And what was our arrangement for Harry during the cup? Sirius rolled his eyes but responded. He can wander around the campgrounds before the match with his friends as long as he carries the 2 emir." but no letting him out of our sight after the game, with all the rowdiness and whatnot. Remus smiled. Just so, and if anyone gives him, or you trouble? Here, Remus Lupin was referring to Harry Potter and Sirius Black's respective fame. Harry's fame, of course, had to do with being the only person alive to ever survive being hit directly with the killing curse, which also happened to be cast by the most notorious and vile dark wizard of the present age. Sirius's fame, of course, had to do with first of all being the heir to the House of Black, the most ancient pureblood family in Britain, then being sorted into Gryffindor, denouncing his family and joining in the wizarding war against said dark wizard, and second of all, being thought by the whole of the British wizarding world to have betrayed his best friends and godson to said dark wizard, being sentenced to Azkaban only to escape 12 years later, go on the run with a nationwide manhunt and then be exonerated when Peter Pettigrew was found alive and to have been the traitor. Sirius's model good looks and rebel persona were also a significant factor. I'll distract them, you'll take Harry, and then I'll shake them off, Sirius answered Remus, and there was a slight burning to his eyes that conveyed his own very sincere passion on this point. And last but not least, if anyone gives me trouble, Remus asked, here, Remus Lupin was referring to the fact that the current staff and student body, and most likely their families, of Hogwarts all had come to be aware of his being a werewolf, and the wizarding world on the whole had substantially prejudicial views of werewolves, who were considered dark creatures and unfit for intermingling with wizard society. Serious eyes burned a little deeper. We don't engage, he said, but his voice was barely above a growl. Now this was a representation of one very noticeable difference between Sirius and Remus. Sirius was all headstrong in daring confrontation, while Remus was more for using a mild dry tongue in presenting a benign front. But he held with the saying of rising above only when he felt that a confrontation was not worth it, and in this case, he did not find any encounter of prejudice towards himself being a werewolf to being worth the scene or worse, with Sirius a brawl. It would only bring further unwanted attention and would do nothing to change any witch or wizard's mind about werewolves. Remus smiled warmly at Sirius. Full marks. Sirius growled and crawled forward on the blankets and Remus's paws fluttered as lightness and warmth flooded his body. Sirius straddled his knees on either side of Remus's hips and used one hand to lift a few strands of Remus's brown hair, streaked with gray, off his forehead. Sirius's own curly black hair framed his beautiful face, setting off his alabaster skin. Now, what did you have in mind, Moony? Sirius's voice rumbled in his chest. Remus leaned his head forward, so his lips ran along Sirius's temple. The bone beneath so sharp, the skin so smooth. Sirius shivered. Well, I thought, if you were ready, we could. I'm ready, Sirius said, cutting him off by locking his lips on Remus's and moving his hands to Remus's shoulders to pull him away from the headboard. Remus smiled into Sirius's lips, moving now with Sirius as they kissed, to lay them onto their sides as they kicked off their pajama bottoms. Sirius took Remus into his hand, and Remus felt himself fully hardened, his body becoming a live wire, and he was swimming in Sirius's scent. Without breaking their lips and without looking, Remus reached a long arm to his nightstand and grabbed his wand, casting the spell wordlessly. Sirius felt his body loosen deliciously, and the ache grew with his readiness. Remus's strong arms flipped Sirius onto his other side, moving his long, limber body behind him, and Sirius gasped at the slight entry and then pleaded for more. Remus pushed in deeper, and Sirius was gasping, an ache of pleasure and want consuming him, and Remus was panting in his ear. All right, tell me if it's too much. yes. Yes. Sirius was saying breathlessly, and he felt like he would die from the pleasure and desire. I want you. I need you. And Remus filled him completely, and Sirius's eyes rolled back in his head. And Remus was holding him so tightly, so close. They were as close and connected as their two bodies could be, and Sirius had dreamed of it for so long. They came into a bliss that slowly retreated into warmth like a fire's embers and Remus cast a cleaning charm before returning to his tight hold on Sirius. Sirius felt the strength of Remus's hold, Remus's heart beat against his own, and was reminded of what he already knew, what he always knew with Remus. He was loved, and he was safe. Remus held Sirius to him, taking Sirius's fingers into his own and interlacing their fingers. All right, Remus asked again. I feel on top of the world, Moony, Sirius told him. I love you, he said moving his head to find Remus's lips and giving him a sleepy and tender kiss. I love you, Pads, Remus replied, as Sirius lay his head back onto the pillows, and the two men did not move from their position against one another until Remus's alarm clock woke them the following morning. Remus locked the front door to Hope's cottage and waved his wand to cast one more ward before turning to where Sirius and Harry waited in the front garden. Harry had his trunk, his firebolt, and Hedwig in her cage. After the World Cup, they'd be staying briefly at the burrow again before Harry boarded the Hogwarts Express. Sirius had his trunk and the gift basket for the Weasleys. Remus picked up his own trunk and walked towards them. Remus and Sirius would not be returning to the cottage until the next summer. They'd already informed Harry a few days prior that they would be moving to Hogsmeade for Harry's fourth year to be closer to Hogwarts but there was still the business of sorting out where Sirius and Remus would exactly be living in the only entirely wizarding village left in Britain. That, Remus and Sirius decided, was an after Harry was on the Hogwarts Express problem. Ready for your first side-along operation? Sirius asked his godson with a wicked grin. Harry smiled a little sheepishly back at him and shifted on his feet. It's just like taking a somersault on your firebolt, Sirius told him smartly. If you feel a little nauseous afterward, that's normal, but it'll pass just as quick. Harry nodded. Okay. Remus gave his mother's cottage one last parting glance as they walked to the edge of the boundary. His mother had loved him entirely, but the bite when he was a young boy changed the way she looked at him, and the cottage had seemed to absorb guilt into its foundations. His father, Lyle, had been older than Hope by ten years, and Remus's condition aged him further and he never seemed to shake his own role in Remus's attack. He left the family cowardly when Remus was in his second year at Hogwarts. And while it did seem easier to breathe in the house and for Remus and his mother to share smiles and laughter, she had lost the last of her spark. She passed away a few months after James and Lily's wedding and the cottage fell to Remus. But at the time, Remus and Sirius were sharing a flat in Muggle London and fighting in the Wizarding War. And it wasn't until after October 31st, 1981, that Remus moved back into his boyhood home. Guilt now laced with pain in the house seemed to haunt Remus, but he was already haunted, and he had nowhere else to go. The moving back into Hope's cottage was serious return to him and Harry in tow, Remus had never for a moment felt the weight of the past within its walls. All that remained of the darkness was the cellar, but besides that, that summer, the house felt like it had finally been freed of its burdens, of its past. The toast the first night should have included Hope's cottage itself, Remus thought, free at last to be what it was always meant to be. Harry held Sirius's hand and they disapparated with a pop. Remus followed a second after. They landed on the overgrown grassy front lawn of the borough in Ottery St. Catchpole, to the loud sound of the door swinging open in the tumult of, Harry's here, and blimey Sirius Black on our own front lawn. The Weasleys ran to greet them, and Sirius presented Arthur with the gift basket while Molly took Harry's trunk from him with a fuss, and then Sirius and Remus shook hands all around again. Hi, Professor Lupin. Hermione blushed up at Remus as he stepped towards the burrow near the back of the crowd. Remus smiled at her. Hi, Hermione, and please call me Remus, or Lupin if you prefer. He wondered how many times he would have to remind her before she finally relented. They clambered into the burrow, and Molly told Harry he'd be rooming with Ron. And Ron led Harry up the stairs toward his room below the attic, taking Harry's trunk gallantly from his mother. And though Harry offered to take it back, the freckly, red-haired teenage boy graciously refused. Aunt Sirius and Remus, would you mind sharing terribly? Fred and George had to move into Charlie's old room because... And here, Molly shot a glare at the twins. Something exploded. How it did without underage magic, I'm sure I don't know. But you can use Bill's old room and we've a spare cot set up in there. Will that be alright? Remus felt a little guilty at Molly's unsure and slightly nervous expression, but also overwhelmingly grateful at the twins for their escapades. Since Sirius's return to him, they'd never spent a night separated. Except for the full moon spent in the cellar, but he had not been in his mind, of course, for most of that time. And Remus had been dreading the idea of a wall between him and Sirius. He knew Sirius had too, although there was nothing to be done if Molly offered them two rooms. Remus had just been outed as a werewolf, and Sirius was still being reintroduced to Wizarding Society. Adding their relationship on top of that was something they didn't think they were ready for. So, it was a relief for an excuse to share a room. Of course, Molly, Remus assured her. It's not a problem at all. Sirius, busy talking with the twins trailing behind him, followed Remus and Molly up the stairs and into Bill's room. Sirius and Remus deposited their trunks and went down the stairs quickly. Remus went into the kitchen with Molly, helping her prepare dinner. While Sirius went out in the back garden to help Arthur set up the outdoor dining table. In short time, as the cloudless sky was turning deep blue, Molly called on the kids from up the Burrow stairs with an enchanting carrying holler spell, and the stampede of footsteps made Remus smile. This time, Percy Weasley appeared from his bedroom to join the guests, as Molly had told Remus he'd been working busily on a report for his boss, Barty Crouch Sr. Padfoot, George said, pulling back Sirius's chair for him as Sirius prepared to take a seat with the three other adults at the end of the table. Sirius gave a great bow as he sat. Mooney, Fred said, doing the exact same to Remus, who was taking the last seat at the adult's end of the table, beside Sirius, and across from Molly, with Arthur across from Sirius. Remus winked at Fred and bowed his head at him before taking a seat. Molly was watching the twins as the two men sat, and sitting across from Remus, she gave Remus and Sirius a look that clearly said, Don't give them any more ideas. Remus gave her a sage look that clearly said, "'Come now, Molly. I'm a grown man now and Harry's guardian, and once more. I was their professor last year and gave them numerous detentions. They will have to be of age until I give them any more ideas.'" Sirius gave Molly a cheeky smile and a wink that said, "'No promises.'" They all tucked into a wonderful dinner of roast chicken and ham, potatoes, and salad, and the adults opened one of the bottles brought by Sirius. Remus and Sirius kept glancing sidelong at Harry every few minutes watching him talk animatedly with Hermione, Ron, Ginny, and the twins. Percy, at the far end of the table, was taking bites of his meal between scribbling on a piece of parchment. But Molly was too busy chatting to Remus and Sirius about the upcoming school year to notice. And have you found a place in Hogsmeade, Sirius? Molly asked as Remus's letter a few days prior had informed her of Sirius's plans to move there during the school term to be close to Harry. His letter had used the phrase, Sirius'll be looking for a place in Hogsmeade, which carefully omitted himself without directly saying that Sirius would be moving alone. Remus had liked to say the news of his accompanying Sirius in person to smooth it over for her perception, but he wasn't ready yet for that conversation. Not yet, Sirius answered, distracted by something George was showing him under the table that Remus pretended not to notice was some kind of glowing candy wrapper. He had an idea suddenly of how and what may have exploded in the twins' room. He's been a bit occupied with reading up on the Irish and Bulgaria players, Remus said with a wry smile, changing the topic smoothly. What do you think of Crumb? Ron seated on the other side of George. Couldn't seem to help but ask Sirius. Mighty good seeker. He'll be giving the Irish a run for their money, Sirius asserted. You won't be rooting for Bulgaria, will you? Fred asked. Serious eyes twinkled with jest. I've hedged a few bets, he said, looking mischievously at Remus, who just smiled mildly back at him and took a bite of salad. Oh, you've a betting pool? George said, massive grin spreading on his face. All right, what's the in price? Molly's eyes narrowed, but Remus quickly assuaged her worry by answering her son. No price, Remus said, strictly betting on chores and pride. This... Remus and Sirius knew was not exactly true, and it was why Sirius pinched his thigh lightly under the table. Chores, per se, was not exactly the word Sirius would have used to describe what they were betting on, but it was the quickest and easiest white lie Remus could think of that made sense. I'll bet on pride, Fred said eagerly. Shame that, George said with the tisk of his tongue, seen as you've got so little to begin with. Dinner ended with nightfall, and the kids stamped up the stairs to their various rooms, with Fred and George last to go. After drawing up their own bets after Sirius and Remus shared theirs with them, carefully avoiding any mentioning of the chores they were betting on, the adults finished the dregs of the wine bottle by the fireplace, and Arthur explained to Remus and Sirius how they'd be meeting Amos Diggory and his son Cedric, the current Hufflepuff Quidditch captain, at Stoats Head Hill the next morning to Portkey to the World Cup. Then Molly insisted the men get their proper rest before the big day tomorrow. You'll all have to enjoy yourselves and keep an eye out for trouble. You need your rest, she told them. Remus and Sirius climbed the stairs and went into their room, and Sirius transfigured Bill's bed to be slightly larger to fit their two bodies and Remus's long legs. Remus slid into bed, arms wrapped around Sirius, and thought what he was most excited for the next day was not watching the game or experiencing the bustling merriment of the campgrounds, or even his reward if he won any of his bets was serious about the match. What he was most excited for would be seeing the look on Sirius and Harry's faces as they watched the nineteen ninety-four Quidditch World Cup.